Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Remy Battery, family owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee along with Escanaba and Houghton, Michigan. Let's start something. RemyBattery.com. By the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, grassroots hunting and angling conservationists dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. WIWF.org. And by the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water. CastleRock-Petenwell.com. I'm Dan Small. We've got another great show for you this week, so stay right there. Well, folks, it's time once again for Madison Outdoors, and this is a feature you hear every week on WTSO, the Big 1070, and, of course, on our podcast on LakeLink or iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcast anytime you want to listen to it. Joining us once again is our good friend and Madison-based reporter, uh, actually Wanakee-based reporter, but uh, Madison area, Duffy Cup. Well, Duff, uh, haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. Have you been fishing? Well, I've just been out once trying to catch some bass, and the water was too cold for that to happen that day. But yep. there are some guys out, uh, as an example, on Mendota, a few bass been picked up. And when they're fishing for bass, they're picking up an occasional small pike or small walleye. The guys are fishing for catfish, as is normal for this time of year, on the north end of the lake where the Ohara River comes in, mm-hmm. and they're using uh, cut bait of all different sorts, and some guys uh, really must be serious about uh, catching those catfish, because they're actually got suckers that they're fishing with, kind of like musky fishing. Yeah. Uh, water's 43 degrees, and the main part, of course, those, those incoming uh, creeks and stuff like that, it'll be warmer up in there, and uh, also guys on the uh, Cherokee Marsh were starting where uh, Highway 113 goes over the Ohio River and up into that shallow areas, there are guys catching a few crappies and a few bass. Uh, moving to Monona, uh, there are some crappies and gills being caught, I know, from one guy, and I'm assuming this is happening with, with most of them because of the shallower water. They're fishing up in the triangles, and the water on Monona is uh, 50 degrees. Wabisa is also 50 degrees. And some bass are being taken along the, the start of that weed edge near uh, Lake Farm Park. Wisconsin River is still very cold because of the snow melt up north. But guys are, if they're lucky, they're pulling in some walleyes or saugers. And apparently more sturgeon are being caught accidentally this time of year than is normal. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, one guy I talked to, he said he got a little sick of dealing with the sturgeon. Oh, sick of it. Well, that's that's a fun fight. Um but once, you know, you hook one, and you're probably good for 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay, and then what, what I what I like to do is help maybe prepare somebody and, and put it in a, a hopefully a simple form here, is you've got opening uh, weekend coming up, and I'm going to, this is not in a priority order, but I started out with your line. If you have monofilament on your reel from last year, my suggestion to you is take it all off, get rid of it, and put new line on. Uh-huh. That monofilament line is very susceptible to getting brittle and uh, breaking down. 
because of sunlight and a variety of other uh, things that go on within our environment. So get rid of the mono, put new mono on. I'll give a plug for Berkeley XL on that. Yep. Uh, that's usually pretty good stuff. Your reels, my first question always is, did you have them serviced or did you service them? If not, you're taking a chance with that reel not making it through the summer. And then once you're confident your reels are ready to go, and I'm going to be doing that later on uh, this week, is take them out. I take them down to the park here in Wanakee, especially my uh, musky stuff, and I, I'm practicing my casting just to make sure that uh, everything's working correctly with those reels and seeing if I still have enough muscle to fill some of those bigger baits. And anybody ever say to you, uh, hey, buddy, uh, there are no fish here in the lawn? <laughs> no, but I did have a guy last year when I was down there doing it and asked me how many I'd already brought in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, number three on my list is make sure your rods are clean, ah. especially if you have cork handles. Uh, and there are uh, various products that you can get to clean those cork handles. If you don't have on those products, just... Uh, a mild dish detergent and some water and get them clean and uh, clean up the shaft as much as you can and then when it's dry get a little bit of cotton or a q-tip or something and then go through each one of your guides to make sure that that lining on those on those guides is not cracked because if that happens that'll destroy your line very very quickly yep your boat make sure it's clean Check your batteries. Make sure you've got it fully charged. And my suggestion always to people is to, if you can, is to keep them plugged in all winter. My boat sits outside. It's not in a garage, but it's plugged in all winter, and those batteries are ready to go as soon as I want to. Check out your electronics. Make sure that's working well. Uh, once you get on the water, you want to do a live well check, so you might want to get on the water before the season starts. If you're not going to be using them, uh, for example, on the opening weekend, make sure that your live wells are closed. The only time they should be open full-time is uh, during the winter to make sure that that water is draining out of there and you don't get any ice buildup. Mm -hmm. And the thing I had to uh, deal with this year when I went through is I have uh, two dead mice in the backyard because they had taken up residence in my boat over the winter. Oh, no. Did they chew your wire? Did they chew your wiring? No, they didn't get my ring. They got, they've got uh, some of the... Some of the carpeting, though, uh, and there was a nest about the size of a 12-inch softball in there uh, that they were living in, but I, I got them. Oh, <laughs> so that's that's my success so far this season is two mice. Take a look at your trolling motor uh -huh. and, then, uh, and take off the prop and then check to make sure that there's no line in there and even the weeds. I, I took mine off a couple of weeks ago and, then, and the weeds... And that all dried in there and everything, and it probably took me five minutes to get that all out of there. Yeah. And that does affect the performance of your trolling motor, so make sure you check that. And then during the season, I would uh, I would check it at least once a month. Uh, your motor, hopefully you've got your basic maintenance done, and you're about to do that basic maintenance. Make sure there's good gas in the tank of your boat. Check your trailer tire inflation and your bearings. I have kind of a different setup than mine. I don't have your regular grease bearings. I really like the setup I've got in the Lumacraft trailer, so I don't really mess around with that a whole lot, but I have seen some pretty nasty things happen when guys don't pay attention to that. And my suggestion is once you're trailering that, especially if you're on a longer trip, every time you stop for gas or whatever, put your hands on those bearings, and they, if they're warm or they're hot, 
you already have a problem, so you probably don't want to go any further until you get that taken care of. Also, here's one thing guys forget to do, especially if you're going a distance, is to make sure you check your truck tire inflation levels too. Uh, that can affect your gas mileage and how well you're pulling your trailer. Sure. So that's that's pretty much my uh, my suggestions, and make sure you're ready for opening day. And the other thing I say, uh, don't bother going to areas where there are no fish because yeah. you're not going to catch anything. So yeah. find out where the fish are first, then, then see if you can't get after them a little bit. Yeah, well, that's all good advice, Duffy. Uh, and, and the boat maintenance and trailer maintenance, uh, that's something that, boy, I think we've all experienced it. I, I've had... Uh, monofilament wound around my trolling motor both from my own uh, negligence and from picking up other people's line you know so yeah yeah do that saturday morning there's a place in madison called the musky lounge yeah right on the ohio river they're having a big uh, fishing gear sale and uh if somebody's interested you could stop there see what they got maybe have uh, something to eat and, uh, and maybe a beer all right any uh, other any other events coming up uh, DNS on May 5th is, uh, they're starting a, a seminar series. Uh, Noah Humfeld's going to be in there, and he's just going to go over what to expect uh, on opening day and suggestions on how to handle that. Then on May 14th, there's the Capital City Muskie uh, Tournament on the Madison Lakes. I will be in that one. And then June 4th is the Ohio Fishing Club Kids Fishing Day at Warner Park. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Uh, get the kids outside, get some fresh air. June 11th is the CCMI State Youth Muskie Tournament on the Madison Lakes. That's also on org. if you want to check that out. And then on June 24th and 25th, a little tournament up, up north on Lake Winter. It's uh, the 38th Annual Bill Wood Memorial Lake Winter Muskie Tournament. That really is a fun time. Wow. Well, Duff, good luck. I know you don't typically fish opening weekend uh, for reasons we don't have a lot of time to go into here. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm not, not going out Saturday, Yeah. but I, I think I'm going to go on Wabisa on Sunday and see if we can't uh, at least find them. That water is still too cold for those muskies to be, be spawning, so... Uh, water's got to be almost 50 degrees before they think about spawning. All right. Well, folks will look for you on Wabisa on uh, Sunday, maybe. And good luck to you, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Okay, Dan. Duffy Cup with the Madison Outdoors Report. I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupie and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupie and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm Voted Best and Rated Best, Hupie and Abraham, 800-800-5678 or visit hupie.com. And all 11 offices of Hupie and Abraham are open for business. Well, joining me once again from his home in Wisconsin Rapids, uh, home from a tournament in uh, Ohio on Lake Erie last weekend, Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, uh, how was that tournament? Oh, it's fun to go to Lake Erie, Dan. It's especially fun to go in the springtime uh, to, uh, you know, near the islands uh, just east of the Western Basin. 
And uh, that's that's where we were at, Sandusky, Ohio. And, and we had a great time. We had 136 teams. Wow. Um, we actually had 167 teams come across the stage total. Uh, it was a dual event with the Lake Erie Walleye Trail and the Masters Walleye Circuit. Uh, we gave away $111,973 on our side. Uh, the Lake Erie Walleye Trail gave away an additional 44500 uh, and the winners of our event also won the Lake Erie Walleye Trail event. They alone took home $52,000. Not a bad couple days' work, huh? For 10 fish, you bet. Oh it was uh, 67 pounds and 14 ounces. They won by one ounce. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's one extra smelt that the walleye ate or goby or whatever. Sure. Amazing. Yep. And who won? Joe Gibson and Brian Beck, both of the uh, Cleveland area. Okay. Well, congrats to uh, Joe and Brian, and I'm sure they're riding high now with the 50 grand in their pocket. Second time they've ever cashed a check in a tournament. Wow. Well, they did it big. It's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. It's going to be hard to beat. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) your turkey season is this week, I believe. Yeah. And uh, we're recording kind of in the middle of the week, so I won't even ask you how it's going, but you have a plan, I guess, right? Well, yeah, I got a couple plans, Dan. And uh, I, You know, uh, I, nobody remembers my turkey hunts, and mostly because they're really uneventful most of the time, Dan. I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I don't know, I'm probably like four, yeah, I'm like four for, uh, five for like, 12 mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe five for you know 14 as far as tags purchased so um yeah i i i i, I can't say that i have the greatest record in in the turkey woods but uh um i'm gonna go after it and try it again i got some public land and some and a little bit of the farm and uh farm is gonna be gone here in the next uh three weeks right. so i'm gonna get a chance to hunt just a couple more times well i hope you do well there and hope you enjoy your time I'm sure it'll be uh, a memorable outing and probably an emotional one too, especially if you get a bird. But either way, I'm sure you're you're gonna have some memories created uh, when, when this sure. week is For done. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> we had an interesting week. Ozzy's turkey season uh, was first uh, period, and of course, some listeners will remember that he scored a Jake in the Learn to Hunt event on April 10th, his first bird ever. And we've been working very hard uh, all week. We hunted six of the seven days. We took Friday off because it rained pretty much all day, although when we woke up after sunrise on Friday, it was just kind of misting, so we could have snuck out then. We've had some days uh, gobbling, some days nothing. Wind, mostly uh, on the weekend. Uh, Sunday, I think the the wind had to be in the... 30s, uh, 30 mile an hour range. Uh, trees were falling down. We didn't see any fall down near us or while we were there, but you go out one day and there are more trees on the ground than there were the day or a couple of days before. And I'm mm-hmm. seeing a lot of these are ash trees, which are brittle and boy, it's dangerous out there in, in the woods. I don't know if you, of course, you've probably been scouting. I don't know if you've noticed a lot of ash on the ground. 
You know, I, I don't have a ton of ash in the areas uh, around me. I've got a lot. Uh, we, we are definitely in the heart of pine tree country sure. and uh, a lot of sandy soil. So, um, you know, but those old red pines that uh, that age out, they die off and they break the tops off uh, real, real easily. I got a whole woods full of broken, <laughs> broken trees in my yard. And, um, um, yeah, it's, you got to really be careful. Um, people don't maybe consider that being a danger but uh a windy woods can be dangerous absolutely and we have some pines on on the hill uh, above our property that were snapped off and they looked like uh, healthy trees snapped off uh, you know 10 20 feet in the air so mm-hmm. keep your eyes in the air as well as on the ground well back to Ozzy's story we worked hard hunting two different farms most Every day we hunted both morning and evening, and on Tuesday uh, it was windy on farm A, and we had a gobbler in the morning in the same place we had had one on Sunday, and on Sunday uh, we thought it was two birds. They went east instead of west where we were. They were, we think, within 75 yards maybe, but we never saw them, and then, uh, so we moved the blind, and then... um, uh, I think it was uh, Monday morning. No, it was today, uh, Tuesday morning. We uh, had a gobbler down in that same spot. We were farther east, and he went farther east. So we never saw him. We heard him. We took the rest of the day to recuperate, and then we went out in the evening on another farm where we had talked to birds, had never seen anything but a hen, and uh, we were only out there about, 45 minutes, and I had two decoys in a big cornfield behind us and one in front of us, a hen in front of us and a hen and a jake behind us, and I was kind of half dozing, calling every once in a while and just paying attention to what was out front, and Ozzy whispers, there's one right behind us, and I turned around, and I'll be darned if there wasn't a Tom Longbeard strolling between our two decoys, and he managed to... uh carefully get around, get the muzzle of the shotgun out the blind window and uh, drop that bird like a ton of bricks, as they say. And then it was celebration time. We were, he was the happiest camper I think I've ever hunted with. And we worked hard. I mean, we're talking, I don't know how many hours, but six days of uh, being out there. But so um, don't give up if uh, early in the week or in midweek uh, you don't score. You know, there's always time later. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, uh, last year I did have a chance at a bird in the afternoon, which is one of the first uh, mm-hmm. first times I really hunted late in the afternoon. You know, almost not quite the roosting time, but certainly uh, within the last uh, last uh, couple hours, you know, of daylight. And um, I'm kind of excited about trying that again. So I, I like it. This guy came in without a sound, uh, and it was sunny, and the wind had died down, so we kind of, we had our hopes up that um, the bird would, uh, that a bird would show up, and we hadn't seen a tom uh, during the whole week until until that moment, and we were both saying a few prayers uh, <laughs> uh, silently, you know, and uh, later, after, after he got the bird, he said, you know, I was saying... Uh, I was um, repeating Dead Eyes mantra out there, so uh, it paid off. Anyway, folks, you can make a difference for the future of hunting, fishing, and healthy habitat by joining the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, wiwf.org. 
add your support to one of the most active and growing grassroots networks right here in Wisconsin. The Federation welcomes individuals, businesses, clubs, and alliances who want to do what's right for fish, wildlife, and the people who rely on access to healthy natural resources. Join today at WIWF.org. Well, coming up, Kevin Kwame shares some severe weather information. Yeah, continuing that series, canine search specialist Jan Thompson talks about her efforts to find missing persons. And we'll kick things off once again with a Lake Michigan fishing update from Captain Dumper Dan Welch. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the ruffed grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. April showers bring new Rapala rain gear. Hey, I'm Tony Roach with Rapala. When I'm on the water, I wear my Rapala rain gear and I say, let it rain. Just in time for spring, we're teaming up with the Outdoor News to give away the best rain gear in the industry. Between now and the end of April, you can win a full set of Rapala rain or Rapala rain pro gear. We will give away four full sets per week in April. To enter, just click on the contest tab at OutdoorNews.com. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. It's time now for an update on Lake Michigan fishing in the Sheboygan area, sponsored, as always, by Dumper Dan's Sport Fishing Charters, Condos, and Riverfront Store on South Pier Drive in Sheboygan, and on the web at DumperDan.com, and on Facebook at Dumper Dan's Sport Fishing Charters. And a second sponsor this week, Anglers Avenue Pub and Grill, they are on Facebook under that name, and they have a website, anglersavenue.net, 
It's a great place to eat right there on South Pier Drive, just a, a few uh, hundred yards closer to the lake uh, from Dumper Dan. So joining us once again, Dumper Dan himself. Well, Dan, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. You betcha. Thank you, Dan. Uh, glad to be back on board this week, giving you our updated report. We'll talk about fishing in just a minute, but uh, last time we talked, you were going to get your boats in the water soon, and I understand that's happening this week. It is, Dan. Uh, we're, we're getting the boats in here, the Dumper Dan fleet, this week. Um, everything's ready to go. The weather mellowed out a little bit. We just got done with a hurricane west wind. It was blowing like a bear for a couple of days. Warmer weather, but a lot of wind. But we waited for that to blow through, and, and now it's it's nicer out, a little cooler, but the winds are light. We'll uh, put the boats in this week. Got them all tied up nice and secure. Um, got all our tackle in line. Rods and reels are all on the boats uh, with new line on everything, and we're ready to ready to fish. So uh, starting to run trips now here in April, and we'll be running 24-7 here in May. All right. Now, you mentioned new line. Uh, do you replace the line on all your rigs every year? We do, actually, at my shop uh, where I have heated storage building I built years ago, and all the boats are inside. So we work out there and then on the boats with everything we do. But with the line on the reels, yes, we strip them all. Honestly, if you ever walked in my shop, we have the rods lined up on the wall all the way around this building, and we have about 400 rods and reels. Yeah, and it takes time to do that, but we have one guy that, that works on that for over a month. And, you know, we, we oil the reels, we uh, strip off the old line, put on the new line, and start fresh every year, absolutely. Well, that's good because everybody who's fished long enough has done it at least once. You have your line snap when you got a big fish on, or your reel freezes and the fish takes off and uh, you, you just can't deal with it one way or another. So it's important to have your tackle in uh, top working order, especially in your if it's your business, which it is for you. Well, yeah, in business or even if you're out private fishing on your own boat or pier or jetty or whatever, you you know you. Uh, the big thing too is, I mean, you Dan, you hook up to one of these big fish and and they'll really tear you up. I mean, they'll run out a lot, three, four hundred feet of line. They'll, you know, they'll fish, they'll pull hard, they'll jump, they'll run, and you got to have good equipment, and it's got to be ready to go for this this kind of fishing. I mean, these fish are five pounds up to 35 pounds, so I mean, they, they put on a battle, and they put on a show, and, and you got to be ready to crank them in with the right, proper equipment. Yeah, and of course, you're talking about the big king salmon, among others, and you've got some, uh, you've had some baby salmon uh, for a couple of weeks now in net pens right there, uh, right alongside your your boat. How are they doing, and uh, are you releasing them? Yes, they're doing very well. I just took a look at them the other day here. We feed them twice a day. Um, I've been monitoring them as well, and we got cameras down there watching the area, but they, they grew in size quite a bit, Dan, and we've had them three weeks and just released them now, and what we do is we release them right before dark, and, and they make it out into the lake by sunrise and, and avoid all the bird traffic in the river, uh, the cormorants and the seagulls. So in the turn, that's very important, you know. And, and they grew they grew a couple inches in size. They're real hefty looking. They look really good. Um, so we're really excited to see uh, how these fish turn out and if they return back to the Sheboygan Harbor when they spawn. Yeah, and a couple inches now, uh, maybe a couple pounds by next year at this time, and uh, we hope 25, 30, or more pounds uh, in four years when they come back. Well, yeah, exactly, and there's enough bait in the lake right now to, to support that, and these fish will grow fast, and they'll grow they'll big, you know, and, and they were all Chinook salmon, so, you know, we had 
almost 50,000 in two net pens, and then they released another the DNR did that same day. They brought the fish another 50,000 up by the Kohler Dam to, to come back down the river system here in Sheboygan. So 100,000 out of Sheboygan just on the Chinooks alone, not including all the other species, is a lot of fish. That should be it's exciting, and we're all excited about it. I think the future is going to get better and better here with this fishery in the next decade, and there's going to be a lot of fish to be had by a lot of different anglers. Well, that's great, and of course, uh, there is some action right now, even though it's very early, the end of April. Uh, brown trout usually are hitting pretty well this time of year. How's that doing? The brown trout fishing is going pretty well, Dan. You've got to watch the weather um, and see what the winds are doing, and if it's blowing out of the east, you don't want to be out there because it's going to get rough, the water's going to get churned up, and it's going to get real cloudy because of the waves, and you're not going to have any action. So you got to let that settle, but watch the winds. Make sure it's a west wind or a light wind out of the east if it's out of the east. But the brown trout fishing has been good. There's been some lake trout around, some brown trout. I heard of one king salmon caught already this year, but it's only you know mid to late April, so the kings will start showing up and getting more aggressive and active here in May. But brown trout fishing has been good, and there's been some nice size ones, so... Take advantage of the weather here, you know, in May and get out there and, and catch some of them fish. And they're close to shore. They're easy to, to to get to. You know, they're anywhere from 6 to 8 feet of water out to about 30 feet of water north and south of town. So stay in that shallow water and then troll or cast from shore or the piers for these fish because they're there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have another sponsor, Anglers Avenue Pub and Grill, right down the uh, pier from you. They've got some great meals. I've had both lunch and dinner there over the years. What do they got going? Well, uh, Lisa and Paul just, uh, they took, for first time ever, they took the winter off. They, they did shut down. They went uh, down south for a few months and, and got out of town here and with the winter months, which I think was a good call on, on their behalf. I, I think, you know, with the winters are long around here. And, and But they now did open up here in April, in, the, in mid-April, and they, they are open, I believe, seven days a week. But check out their Facebook page and check out their website to make sure they are. But I think they're open seven days a week. They're open for lunch. They're open for supper. They have a full menu. The bar's ready to go, and, and they're excited to be back. I mean, it, I stopped in the other day and had a sandwich, and, and the place was pretty busy, and the food was very good. So Anglers Avenue Pub Grill, South Pier Drive, uh, definitely a, a place to stop for lunch or supper if you're in Sheboygan. Fantastic. Yep, and their website is anglersavenue.net. And they're on Facebook at Anglers Avenue Pub and Grills. Well, when I get back to Sheboygan one of these days, uh, maybe you and I can have lunch there. Yeah, that would be a good idea. You give me a call and we'll do that. But yeah, give me a call when you're in town, Dan, and we're hoping, we're excited about a nice May here. Hopefully we get some decent light winds and good sunshine weather and get out on the lake. Watch our Facebook page. We're going to be posting every single day here what's going on out of the Port of Sheboygan, Lake Michigan here on on the fishing action. Check out our website, dumperdan.com. Or as always, Dan, you know how to get a hold of me or anybody else for a reservation, 920 three seven seven one one four seven you'll talk to me uh dumper dan and i'll take care of everything you need here to get you out on the big lake all right well dan thank you so much we will let you get back to uh you're busy getting the uh business uh rolling this spring and in two weeks we'll uh, uh we'll call in for another report and we expect to hear some big catches in a couple of weeks so no pressure man oh. no pressure <laughs> <laughs> right no never no pressure yeah exactly but I think we'll be fine. So we're looking forward to it. We're going to get it done and get out there and get a bunch of customers on some fish and post a bunch of pictures and and have a good time. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dan. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. You bet. Dan Welsh, Dumper Dan himself, with the Lake Michigan Report from Sheboygan. His website, DumperDan.com. Facebook, Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters. And don't forget Anglers Avenue Pub and Grill on Facebook and anglersavenue.net online. And uh, in person, just walk down from Dumpers uh, toward the lake and you can't miss them. I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. You know, this is turkey season here in Wisconsin, and hunters are out in the woods on public and private land throughout the state, and hikers and campers are out as well. And the inland fishing season starts next Saturday, May 7th. And in all of our outdoor adventures at any time of year, some of us might get lost from time to time, and unfortunately, some anglers or boaters or both end up drowning pretty much every year. And some of us who don't have mishaps like that will end up finding things in the woods that we weren't expecting to find. I have found a number of deer carcasses and shed deer antlers, but some people come across human remains or lost individuals. And joining us now to talk about this situation and what some of these possibilities are and what to do if that happens is Jan Thompson. She is a canine search specialist with the Canine Emergency Response Team. And Jan, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, first of all, what is the Canine Emergency Response Team? I understand you have two divisions in Wisconsin. We do. I am with the Northwest Division, and I'm in Barron County, and handlers are in Burnett, St. Croix, Polk, even one in Minnesota, right over the border. Our other division is down in central Wisconsin, and they also cover several different counties. And you have a website, kertk9.org, I understand. I, I took a look at it. It's very interesting. Yes, we do. You've been doing this a while, I understand. I started in 2000. About that time, my youngest was a junior in high school, and I had the opportunity to join a small team. I had become interested in canine search and rescue back in 1982. I saw a news documentary where a woman was working her canine up into the rubble and debris of Mexico City after an earthquake had hit. And I was fascinating, but I was a young mother at home with children, and it's just something that I tucked back in my mind, and I didn't think about it really until I had the opportunity to work alongside, during a PR event up in Turtle Lake, a small group of canine handlers, and from there I joined their team and worked with them for one year before I made the decision and the commitment to search and rescue and deciding what type of dog I wanted and what I wanted to do with that dog. Okay, and commitment is a key word there, I'm quite sure. What breed do you use now, and have you gone from one breed to another over the years? I have. My 
Schaefer's. Frida, of course, was a shepherd because that's what I saw working up in Mexico City on that news documentary. And I think I kind of had my heart set on it. And after watching the different breeds work, I really liked the way that shepherds did work. So she was a German Shepherd, and she did both life find, and eventually we also transitioned into also doing human remains detection, HRD. And then my second dog was a blue tick coon hound, and with her I did tracking and trailing. And when you think of blood hounds at the end of a long lead, that is tracking and trailing. My third partner was a flat-coated retriever that was donated to me when I started noticing my older dog not being as agile as she used to be. I knew I needed to pull her from the field, so I kept working her in smaller searches for HRD, and I trained my flat coat, Brooke, to take over the lifeline part. Mm -hmm. My fourth partner that I'm working now took over when my first partner was pulled from the field and completely retired, and Yogi, he's a German Shepherd, and he does human remains detection only. The training must be rather involved, something like this, both handling the dog and for the dog itself. Is that is that true? It's very true. That's where the commitment, I think, comes in. You have to commit to not only training yourself, but training a dog. And you do that within a team, and you get the help from people that are more knowledgeable than you are. And to get that dog to a certification level. You, know, you also have to commit to training yourself because we as handlers, everybody in our team, whether you work a dog or not, have to go back and learn a lot about searches. We learn about search management. We become certified in what's called SARTEC 2, and that involves everything from compass work to tying knots and ropes to searching for clues and evidence, it involves quite a bit. So not only do we have to commit to that for ourselves, then you also have the commitment to your dog. Well, so let's, let's learn how this works. Obviously, you're out there searching for somebody who was lost, who was reported lost. So let's say I have uh, an uncle who is maybe hasn't got a real good memory, and he goes out turkey hunting, and he doesn't come back. And so we know that he's up there somewhere in uh, the Shawamaga National Forest, but we're not sure where. So where do we go from there? That's where law enforcement comes in, and also the DNR. They're the ones that direct a search. They're the ones that will call us when needed to bring our dogs in to assist them. They're the ones that are in charge, and we work under them. Okay, so we don't contact you directly. No. But people do, right? I mean, people know who yes, you are. And, yeah. Many times that law enforcement has searched and searched and searched, and they just don't have anywhere else to look, or they just don't have the resources anymore to continue a search. Mm -hmm. And from there, the families have contacted us. And, yes, we will go in and um, do what we can to continue that search, but only when the family has gotten permission from whoever was in charge of that search to begin with. When they've contacted law enforcement and we have law enforcement's blessing, do we then respond to a family and continue a search? Okay, and I presume in the 20-some years you've been doing this, you have found 
some persons both living and deceased. Yes, only I have never had the opportunity to have a rescue. Oh. It, it seems like every life find that happened happened because my dog was what we <laughs> was uh, searching a different area. We cleared a lot of areas that allowed the search to continue in the area it needed to be to find that person. Through the years, that seems to be where we end up. It's <laughs> clearing all the areas where that person isn't. But that tells the search manager a lot. Oh, okay, that, yeah. so the person isn't here. Yeah. So this is where we need to look. Yeah, that's great information. I mean, a hunter can relate to that. What should someone who's out in the woods or on the waters do if they... Obviously, if somebody's lost, they would call uh, law enforcement. But what do you do if you find human remains? Same thing. Again, right away, you want to call law enforcement. But the other thing is you don't want to disturb it. Uh -huh. You want to leave that area as undisturbed as possible because there might be clues to why there's human remains there. Uh -huh. Was it somebody who died unexpectedly or, you know, was it a homicide? So you would try and secure that area in some way, mark it, you have a GPS, mark it on your GPS. And if you have to come back to it, say you're in the woods and you don't have uh, cell phone coverage and you have to go somewhere to call law enforcement, make sure that you're able to get them back to where they need to be. Well, Jan, why do you do this? What's, what's in it for you? Well, we're volunteers, so it's, it's not monetary. When I first started this, within, I, when I first got my, my first partner, you know, and I'm always thinking back of that connection between that handler and uh, working her dog up into that rubble, you know, always stuck with me. Shortly after I brought home my first partner, 9-11 happened, and I truly was looking at this little puppy and knowing how much I didn't know, wondering, can we do it? Do we have it in us to do this? And it was within the next year that my mother was uh, diagnosed with a type of dementia. And so then I had that worry. What if she goes wandering? And it wasn't that many years later that my late husband also developed Lewy body's dementia. And all my lifeline dogs had a special command to what I always called find the farmer. The farmer was my late husband, mm -hmm. uh, find the farmer. And so that I always knew that if it ever developed into where he wandered, that I would have dogs that would be able to find him. So my commitment was kind of solidified when I had to deal with family members that had that possibility. I understand you'll be speaking next Thursday, May 5th, in Rice Lake. Tell us about that. Thursday at the U, I was asked to participate in that and talk a little bit about search and rescue and recovery. And it's going to be an hour-long talk, and I'm going to try and touch on a, a lot of different subjects in one hour and hopefully, hopefully bring some understanding to the public about what it is that we do and what the dogs do. And another big part of it will also be considerations for people who respond to a law enforcement call-out. There's many times that I have been on a search where the public has been invited to come and help, and they come in flip-flops, in their shorts, mm. and 
their pet dog or their children. And it's totally inappropriate to do so because your eyes are supposed to be on the ground. You don't want to be worried about what your kids are doing. You're walking through all kinds of debris and grasses and mud, and you don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah. So you need to be dressed appropriately. You need to have enough water. I don't know how many times we've had to go in and rescue somebody who was, had heat stroke. They weren't prepared to, to do this grid search. So that'll be a big part of it, too. Okay. And this is uh, 1230, uh, and, and how would they find out? Do they go to the uh, UW-Eau Claire Barron County website? And look for Thursday at the U, and the talk is in what's called Ritzinger Hall at the Blue Hills Lecture. Well, Jan, thank you so much for talking with us, and uh, we hope folks will uh, come to your lecture if they have an opportunity and they're in the area. Again, it's uh, Thursday, May 5th, 1230, the UW Barron County campus, and their website is dot uwec.edu so it's easy to find. Jan, thank you so much and I hope you find happy people this year if you have to get out again. I absolutely hope so. Jan Thompson uh, joined us to talk about the K9 Emergency Response Team. You can learn more about what they do at kertk9.org. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. The Wisconsin Wildlife Federation is a group of grassroots conservation organizations and individuals dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. Their website is wiwf.org. And over the next few weeks, we'll be talking with people from all over Wisconsin about their experience with recent severe weather events. And joining us now is Kevin Kwame. He is first vice president of the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation. And Kevin, we've been having some very interesting conversations on this topic of severe weather events. And uh, I understand you've got some experiences that you'd like to share with us. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that, you know, with weather is it's always changing and always unique and you never know what's going to happen. But with the, with the conversation on the large scale with climate change and that type of thing, you know, you start to focus a little more and pay closer attention and wonder if it's true and if you notice things. And I certainly have. Simple little things like the increased number of ticks that we see. How is that related? And the biggest thing that I notice is the wide variation and strange rain and precipitation events. I live in the Marquette uh, Green Lake County area, and the Fox River goes through there. And and that in the the last years has been very low, but very high in flood stage for longer periods of time, it seems like. You know, literally creating problems with roadways and difficulty getting out on the on the water to fish and find fish the other thing is the wind events blowdowns that you that are almost historic trees tipping over and and uh, knocking things down and even up at some property in price county where the wind comes through and just makes a mess of the woods you know which is unusual event or unique events compared to the many years that you know i've been there and not seen that deer hunting this season uh, i have a little marshy area on my property that's woodlot and you know it's been wet for years and years and a lot of the trees are dying and the bark is falling off and so even like during deer season i'm out in the the stand in my own property and the wind's blowing and branches are falling and trees are breaking off i i just got out of the woods because i was (laughs) afraid for my own safety you know it's just unique and, and different than what what I've experienced in the past. Yeah. Have you had other friends uh, tell you similar stories? Yeah. You know, it's a conversation. You know, geez, when's it going to stop raining or the river's higher than I've ever seen it before and mm-hmm. conversations like that. I, I live on the south side of the Grand River Marsh and, uh, you know, three years ago, I think it was, the the rain and the water was so high, the bogs broke off and damaged the, uh, the dam and they had to open it up and close it and and repair it over a two-year period so the marsh they had to literally drain the marsh Mm. or let it drain so Mm. they could do the repairs and and of course that changed everything you know um because the water was down and and uh you know i don't know how wildlife adapted to that but there's you know a lot of waterfowl that use that area and it was completely different than what they would be generally expecting to see when they get there too yeah uh, have you noticed uh, different uh, different species of waterfowl? If you if you live near the marsh, I imagine you spend some time on it. Have you seen any changes there? Well, it, it seems like less waterfowl there than you would expect. I don't know if they're finding other places, or maybe there's more water elsewhere in open fields and stuff, so they don't need uh, they don't visit there as often. Mm-hmm. I'm not that great at species identification unless I'm close to it. So uh, you know, so that that. Awareness is not that great for me, but but I see 
what I feel is less numbers, especially with geese. Uh, you know, a lot of cranes there, but I almost see equal number of cranes to geese, it seems like, uh, uh-huh. compared to years ago when there was, you know, lots of geese. Yeah, yep, yep. The Sandhill cranes certainly have made a, a comeback, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, I think most people agree, and there's... Uh, Actually, uh, a lot of interest in in having a sandhill crane hunting season. I don't know where you stand on that. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, that's a great thing," and and then people are saying, "No," because you know, some guys will mistake uh, whooping cranes for sandhills and shoot them. Well, and that that's the possibility, but you know, any wildlife management and with sandhill cranes are getting to be numbers that are starting to be destructive is my understanding Mm -hmm. Uh, and and like with other species when they do become a game species they get managed better we've seen so many increases in population of of animals that were on the downhill slide because the interest is uh is there to have them around yeah so i do support management and if hunting is part of the management scheme Obviously, I support that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, we've had some great wildlife success stories. Uh, uh, the bald eagle, for one, uh, whooper, or, uh, whooping cranes to a lesser extent, and sandhills, of course, and wild turkeys, although they've been pretty elusive this spring, in my experience, in my limited experience. Well, before we let you go, any, I mean, none of us has a, a cure for this problem, but... Uh, what do we do about high winds and high waters? Is there anything we can do? Well, you know, it's obviously it's a, it's a, a, a problem or a situation beyond our physical control and whether, uh, you know, how we manage what we do that impacts weather, you know, like with heat islands from large cities and electric lights and stuff like that that maybe make wind patterns different. Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a problem bigger than we can wrap our heads around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of the winds are developed further west. I've, I've, you know, I'm in the construction industry and I'm building a couple of projects in uh, Nebraska and Kansas, and it's always windy there. Yeah. 20 miles an hour is normal, and in the last couple of weeks, uh, it's been difficult to get any work done because the winds are 40, 50 mile an hour steady and gusts up to 60 and 70 miles an hour. and Ooh. Working in it is difficult. Even standing up out in the parking lot is difficult. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's more normal there. They're used to it, but still, it's, it just seems abnormal to me. Yeah, and uh, let's all hope that it's not the new normal. We've been dealing with the new normal in so many areas, and uh, it looks like wind and, and rain are, are part of our life, and let's just hope that either we adapt to it or things go back to what we were used to. Absolutely, and you know the other concern that I have is with what seems to be cold, wet springs lately. The brood survival in early spring, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully that straightens itself out soon too. Well, I hope so too. Well, Kevin, uh, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and uh, participating in this ongoing conversation about what the heck is this weather business all about these days. So, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. You bet. Kevin Kwame is first vice president of the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation. The Federation is a group of grassroots conservation organizations and individuals dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. Their website is wiwf.org.
I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. They got great deals on new and used boats and 25% off on oil and life jackets through april 30th check out their website and facebook page for details we're also brought to you by remy battery family owned and operated since 1931 serving milwaukee escanaba and houghton let's start something remybattery.com by the wisconsin wildlife federation grassroots hunting and angling conservationists dedicated to the future of fish wildlife clean water and healthy habitat wiwf.org and by the castle rock petenwell lakes association 60 square miles of fun on the water CastleRock-BeatonWell.com. Outdoor Wisconsin, our TV show is always available at MilwaukeePBS.org and Deer Hunt Wisconsin uh, from past years, including last year, 2021, is always available on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin YouTube channel. If you missed anything on today's radio show, you can go back and listen to it anytime. Go to Lake-Link.com, go to their outdoor radio page. You can download this episode and past episodes as well. And you can find Dan on social media at Dan Small Outdoors. Find me at Hardwater Jeff. I got a note from the Recreational Boating uh, and Fishing Foundation, I believe it's called, about the uh, Biden administration waiver of the Clean Air Act to allow E15 gasoline. And that's gas that's 15% ethanol. Uh, some folks call it winter gas. Uh, allowing that to be sold through the summer. But boaters and recreational vehicle operators should be aware of the fact that federal law prohibits the use of that in boats, motorcycles, off-road vehicles, and so on. So uh, if you're uncertain what that's all about, do a search on um, E15 gas, and uh, you'll be educated. Don't fill your boat tank with that this spring. (laughs) Yeah. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. I'm Dan Small here with Jeff Kelm. 
Get outside this weekend, and next week we'll have Jeff's uh, first turkey season report, and I hope it's a successful one. Join us next week for Outdoors Radio. In the coffee can, honey, I'll be true.